The IPO environment in the U.S. has seen a recent drought, with expectations of a rebound prior to 2024 looking more and more unlikely. What can companies be doing now to prepare for the inevitable return of the IPO environment? In this episode of the Privately Speaking podcast series, host and KPMG audit partner Erica Whitmore sits down with industry professionals from KPMG Accounting Advisory Services, Hilary Simic, partner, and Sally Wong, managing director, to discuss the current IPO environment and anticipated future trends. Well, thank you everybody for joining us today. My name is Erica Whitmore and I'm an audit partner and part of our KPMG Private Enterprise Group and host of this podcast. And I'm really excited about today's session. Um, I've got a couple really, really uh, trusted colleagues that I work with and um, really wanted to have them on the podcast today to share their insights on kind of what's going on in the market, what they're seeing with pre-IPO companies, um, et cetera. So with that, I'm gonna turn it over to you, Hillary and Sally to introduce yourselves. And Hillary, if you wanna start. Great. Thanks, Erica. And we are excited to be here. Um, so everyone listening, my name is Hillary Simic. I am a partner in our accounting advisory services in KPMG. And really what we do is help clients with complex transactions. So going through IPOs, business combinations, um, carve-outs, anything that has to do with accounting and financial reporting, um, we will work with our clients. I focus on the life science industry, um, so have a lot of insights into what we're seeing there, and I'll pass it to Sally to introduce herself. Great. Thanks, Hillary. Uh, my name is Sally Wong. I'm a managing director in accounting advisory as well, and I've worked with Hillary in the past, um, so we kind of do the same things. However, my focus is more with TMT clients, specifically the technology and media clients, as well as a little sprinkle of um, kind of blockchain and, and digital assets as well. So I'm excited to be here with you guys and hope we have a good discussion. Awesome. Thank you both. And what I wanted to start off with today um, was just a couple kind of um, pieces of information from our most recent um, venture capital um, pulse. And I'll re reference a couple things at the end of the webcast, just so that everybody can go and kind of get access to this information. But if we think about where things kind of landed as of the end of Q2 2023, um, I, I would say that we are in an absolute drought when it comes to um, venture capital investment, unless there's, you know, obviously there's certain transactions that have happened that have been sizable, but outside of that, generally investing has been down. Um, there has been some investment in generative AI um, obviously, that's a very hot area. We do hear critics um, saying that, you know, maybe it's not quite um, the hype that it's it's at right now, meaning, you know, maybe there's some investment here and, and not that there won't be things going on with AI, um, but that maybe, maybe there's a little more hype because there's not a lot else uh, going on. That being said, you know, there has been um, a couple IPOs in the last few weeks, which is really, really exciting, um, but still kind of wait and see and, and more to come, right? So we will touch on that a little bit and just kind of share what we're seeing with our clients and prospective clients and just in the market in general. Um, but, you know, a lot to be seen here the rest of 23, as well as 24 and, and beyond to see kind of where things go with the IPO market and also with BC-backed investing specifically. So 
with that, um, and maybe I'll start with Sally this time, um, just in terms of, you know, companies that we are working with or talking to in the market, you know, Sally, kind of what are you seeing um, right now? You know, you know, what's kind of the, what are, what's the sentiment? Yeah, so I, I think there's kind of two main groups and with the majority falling into probably the first that I'll talk about, which is, you know, started off as startup, um, private enterprise, growing rapidly, getting some traction and really has um, companies that are have their sights set on an IPO sometime in the 2025 timeframe. And then the other kind of group of companies and probably a smaller population therein is are, are these companies that may have had a lot of funding from either a currently public company parent um, who is able to support a lot of their capital needs and the subsidiary that would be potentially going public has really strong revenue. So these types of companies, their um, timeline is probably a little bit shorter, looking probably closer to the beginning to mid uh, 2024 timing. Um, but I think for the ones that are a little bit closer, um, one one common thread is that their revenues are really strong. You know, they're focused on profitability, not necessarily growth in terms of types of products, but really profitability and making sure that not only is their PL strong, that their balance sheet is strong, that they're able to take cash out of the business. No, that makes a lot of sense, Sally. And and just to reference the venture pulse. Um, Q2 report again. Um, it, it was reported that there are more strategics coming into the market and doing some investing. Um, so, so that's a good sign. Um, Hillary, what are you seeing? Yeah, I would say similar in terms of companies wanting to go public, right? Everyone's a little more hesitant than what we saw in 2020 and 2021. Um, but it is those companies that, like Sally said, are are able to generate revenue, have a positive EBITDA, have those that ability to give returns to their investors. Um, there's a few that I know of in the life science space that are looking to to get something done quickly, say in this year in 2023, at least from an initial filing, if they can. Um, but I would say more so, it's a let's get ready and make sure we don't miss the window if it does open, but there's not as much of a rush to get it done today. Which, I mean, if you're talking to the three of us, and we're obviously going to be biased, right? I, I Hillary and Sally both know this, but I also work with a lot of pre-IPO companies. That's like music to our ears, right? Like if you were to set out a perfect plan, right, we would want companies to really methodically put together, here's where all my gaps are, right, For in terms of being a public company and being able to report timely and being able to forecast. And not that that means you have to share numbers with the street, right, but you at least have a cadence, right, you can predict, it's predictable, right, you have a process um, where you can predict your pipeline, etc. But so like, you're really laying out, here's my gaps, and then prioritizing those and then figuring out, right? Like, how are we going to, what resources do we need to start addressing those gaps? So, so you, Sally, had some, when we were preparing for this, you had a really um, great observation, I think, from our, one of our recent webcasts. Um, If you could talk about that a little bit, again, in the vein of like, 
you know, what is it going to mean in the future to be a successful public company, both in terms of size and preparedness? Yeah. So, I mean, financial reporting hygiene is so important, right? Because you got to make sure that you're ready to, to have those public filing kind of reporting deadlines, whether it's because you got acquired by a public company or because you are now public. But really, um, I think the preparation is important to know what your equity story is to have, to your point, Erica, really solid forecasts. And, you know, in speaking with or hearing one of our um, one of the large investment banks speak, they were talking about some insight, which I thought was interesting to say, hey, if after you go public, I think you tend to garner more interest from your top analysts when your revenues are maintained around kind of the 500 million mark. When you start dropping, you get less attention from those analysts and therefore maybe a little bit less um, attention than therefore from the investors as well. Um, one of the other things that, you know, these banks like to emphasize is, hey, you don't have to only come to us when you're about to go public, because I've heard multiple banks being willing to do kind of like test roadshows. And in this, it's kind of that gap analysis that you're talking about, right, Erica, where they come and they present, it's almost like a mini, like a practice roadshow. And the banks will tell you, all right, this worked, if that didn't, you need to fix it before you go public. Therefore, there's no surprises. And really, their feedback is intended to help you stay in that 500 million mark, et cetera. No, I think that I think that's a really good point and something important to think about. Um, Hillary, anything to add to that? Yeah, I would I would agree. I think it's right that assessment and getting ready is just to make sure that you're you're going to be successful as a public company, which overall is what every company and every investor wants to happen after an IPO. Um, we all know there was boom in 2020 and 2021. And our team has done some analysis of those companies that went public. And it was just such a different time at that point. And the hygiene of a company maybe wasn't as good that there are a lot of them that are struggling today. Um, Not only just because of the market we're in and it being kind of a down market, higher interest rates, but just not having kind of the operations or the equity story that that makes them cons- uh, consistent and helps them be a successful public company. No, I think I think that's that's fair. And I think, you know, one thing that we talk a lot about, um, we've talked about it in our webcast and we've talked about it um, in, in other events that we've held, right, is that no matter what your size is, I mean, obviously it matters a little bit, but it's just expensive to be a public company and the periodic filings and the rigor and discipline that a company has to have. And frankly, the resources, whether they're internal, external, or both are pretty extensive. Right. And so, you know, not only do you want to think about, you know, are we profitable now? Do we have enough revenue now? Um, And do we have enough room for growth? You know, is the market big enough? Do we have a compelling story, but, you know, are we willing and ready to take on those costs, right? So I, I just think that's important. And, and Hillary, in terms of the, and I'm just going to pull up the, the notes here for this paper. So 
the um, liquidity challenges in a down market, I think is one of the papers, right, that we've written recently. Is there anything you want to highlight from that article? I I thought it was really good. Yeah, and I do encourage people, if you haven't seen it, to to download it and read it. It has some really interesting facts and analyses that we were able to glean from these public companies. Um, Like, for example, based on public public filings, um, research on, on the companies that did go public. I mean, our firm is estimating 174 IPOs and 77 SPACs that went public in 2020 or 2021 could run out of cash within 24 months starting in March of this year. And that's, you know, that's not a, a long time. That's a pretty short life if they are going to run out of cash. And even with that, of those numbers, 50% of them are what we would consider to be in the quote-unquote distressed zone or signaling, signaling a risk for bankruptcy. And so that's where I think the market is shifting, where companies that are going public, right, we keep talking about this hygiene and we want companies to have a really good hygiene before they go public so that they don't fall into this category of being distressed, having a heart, a more difficult time of either raising additional equity financing or debt financing um, when they when they are in distress. Yeah, no, those are some s- scary statistics for sure. And and you know, I do get asked once in a while about the SPAC market, so I'd <laughs> love to hear uh, what you all think on that too. But but in terms of what I'm seeing just with my client base and, and the market is just that, you know, SPACs, they aren't, while they maybe aren't dead, maybe there's some out there that that are trying to um, maintain it is pretty close, but would love to hear what you all think. Yeah, I, I would say it's, it's definitely fallen off, right? Like everyone saw it as a great way to go public, maybe a quicker way, um, using a SPAC merger versus the traditional IPO. But it it was, I mean, a lot of these companies are just struggling right now to, to be profitable, to not get into the distress zone, that it is, I think it's harder to find the right investors. It's harder to, um, to go through that roadshow that Sally was talking about and without having a lot of revenues or without generating it a positive EBITDA. So I, I do think it's it's still maybe viable for some, some profitable companies. I think what we saw were some, some companies that weren't revenue generating as of the merger date, that's probably not, we're not gonna see that as much anymore. And really quick, Hillary, before we flip to you, Sally, um, any different view on that from a um, specific to life sciences? Yeah, that's a great point. I do think, and we've seen a couple of transactions even happening this year where it still might not be that the life science company is revenue generating, but I do think they're farther along in like their clinical trials and in getting the data where it is really right. The data is showing that their IP or their product that they're developing is has a market is going to be approved by the FDA. So there is a little bit of a of a difference from a life science perspective where you could see some and we have, 
right? They're, they're not necessarily SPACs, but we've seen some transactions where a non-revenue generating life science company is, is going to go public. Right. Or raise money or that, that it does seem a little to be a little bit different for that specific industry. Sally, um, how about you? Yeah, I think what Hillary said is pretty consistent with what I'm seeing as well in that, you know, SPACs have kind of fallen off. I think there's like a an iteration of what a SPAC is, and that is the reverse merger, um, where instead of a shell public company, you have still an operating company, but effectively after that merger with the, you know, effectively the, what was pr- previously referred to the, as the operating company, they merge with a public entity, but then the private entity takes over basically the public company's identity and the business shifts to what the private company was. So that's kind of like a variation on the SPAC and that I've seen a couple of those. They're still in the comment letter process. So I wouldn't say that they're successful yet, but I've probably seen more of those than an actual SPAC going forward. Um, And then with respect to tech companies, you know, the the ones that I mentioned, I I think would fall into the tech space. Um, uh, But yeah, it's, it's really hard because I think when, when companies do go public via these reverse mergers and SPACs, they're subject to um, kind of more immediate filing deadlines. Meaning if you go traditional IPO, right, if you kind of miss a pricing window or you do decide to push out, you can, based on your readiness of reporting, maybe not ideally for economics, but just from a a logistical perspective, be able to push out that date to be ready to report. But once your, you know, reverse merger or your SPAC closes, you really have no grace period there. So I think that's, you know, um, that's kind of some of what these companies are looking at their counterparts who did go public in 2020 and 2021. And, looking at them as a cautionary tale. Um, So these companies are really just focused on, hey, can I get enough capital from our investors right now to stay afloat until I am able to get capital from the public markets? And that, as I think you've alluded to before, is fewer and further in between or very expensive. Yeah, because it doesn't seem like, not to switch gears completely, but it also seems like like there's not a whole lot of deals out there right now, meaning like companies aren't looking at their, you know, their performance and and taking down, you know, what the valuation of their company is, which makes it even harder to, to get new money in, even though I think there's quite a bit of money on the sidelines. Um, so maybe I, I'll, I'm going to flip back to this venture capital pulse um, one more time and, and just, just remind our audience that, you know, we do expect that IPO activity will continue to be somewhat muted in Q3, even though very excited to see at least some activity. I think a lot of companies and, and investors will be waiting to see how they perform right in the market um, to kind of see what the plan is for companies that are either ready or, or will be ready early in 24. So with that, um, maybe I'll start with Sally and then go to Hillary. What, what parting thoughts do you have for our audience? Well, um, maybe a little self-serving, but it's never too early to start being ready um, to have public company reporting hygiene, even as a private company. It may cost a little bit more than, you know, kind of waiting to 
to incur that GNA, but I don't think you're going to regret it. Just to add on to that, like, I, I think there's evidence out there that that's needed. And I go back to this thought leadership paper around the distressed companies that, like, for companies that are not ready, it's it's a high cost and even could be more expensive if you're not ready before you IPO. So the, the better prepared you are, um, the more successful you can be as a public company. Perfect. Thank you both. Well, um, I really, really appreciate having you both on. And I'm going to really quickly go through some of the reports that we referenced on, on the podcast today, which will also be on the sidebar of the podcast webpage. But there's three of them. One is the semi-annual IPO and M&A Outlook webcast that was held on July 21st. Uh, the second is liquidity challenges in a down market. And the third is the exit optionality bootcamp, which is actually um, provided by the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center. And it was a virtual event held on June 14th. So again, Sally and Hillary, thank you so much for being on today. I hope that you'll come and be a guest again. And I really appreciate your insights. And I think our audience does as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Erica. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to KPMG's Privately Speaking podcast. And be sure to subscribe to the series to be notified of new episodes.